over there. We have an usher that's monitoring that area and watches, and we look forward to you using that. Well, this morning we're on a series. I'm kind of going off our series of nothing but the truth because there's some, we're going to get into some really meaty stuff in, in the Gospel of John and the other Gospels in a few weeks here. But for the next couple of Sundays, I wanted to do a series on, on faithful stewardship or financial stewardship. And with that being said, there's going to be a lot of definitions and a lot of meanings and a lot of words I want to talk to you about that are essential for us to grasp as believers. First of all, if you look at your notes, if you want to make a note of this, stewardship, we're going to talk about stewardship this morning. Stewardship refers to the responsibility a person has with the assets and resources entrusted to him. Very simply, stewardship is the responsibilities you and I have as believers that God has given to us with the assets and resources entrusted to him. Now, with those assets and responsibilities and resources, God wants to see us properly manage them and properly grow them. Now, a steward is a manager. A steward does not own anything. A steward is a manager. They're an overseer. They have responsibilities for someone else's goods. The word speaks of a person entrusted with the education and well-being of children. If you go over to Galatians chapter 4, <coughs> Paul uses the words governor and tutor in speaking about a steward. And that was, back in those days, you'd have a steward, kind of the homeschooling idea. You'd have a, you'd have a person that would come to the home and would be there during the day, and then that person would be the governor or tutor or the steward responsible for the well-being and the training of the mind and of the body of the, of, of the child there. So they were entrusted with those children there. Uh, the word steward has the idea uh, in the Bible of, of just being faithful. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says that a steward should be found faithful. The word steward or stewardship is found 18 times in the Bible and 12 specific times in the New Testament. Given the fact that it's there so often, we need to give heed to the word steward. Stewards are expected to give their masters or their owners a good report, a good rate of return, a good report on what's been entrusted to him. If you get a chance this week, read Matthew 25 about the parable of the stewards or the parable of this talent. And that speaks very clearly. I don't know if we'll have time to get into that in our study here, but it's a, it's a very good, good chapter for you to read and to study in your own personal life. Pastors are commanded to be blameless as the stewards of God, uh, Titus 1.7. All believers are stewards of the manifold grace of God when it comes to ministering with spiritual gifts. That's found over in 1 Peter chapter 4. So the Bible has a lot to say to you and I about being a steward or about stewardship, our responsibility there. It has a wide application in that it applies to the usage of our time, as Brother Danny alluded to before the offering, our talents and our treasures. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. Now this morning, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 16. I want us to start off the, the kind of at the ground level. And I want to see from the ground level God's financial plan for the local church. God's financial plan for the local church. Now we must be in tune with this because we must understand that when Jesus Christ founded his church in Matthew 16, accordance with that, as the, as the Bible was being written, God gave us his plan. God gives us his plan how to care for his church. God gives us his plan for the leadership of the church. God gives us his plan for the growth of the church. God gives us his plan for the mission of the church. God gives us his plan for the teaching of the word of God. I mean, you Every, as you read through the New Testament, you find that God gives us his plan. And with that, we must not neglect the fact that God gives us his financial plan for the local New Testament church. It's a family affair. It's a family involvement. All of us as part of Heritage Baptist Church, we have responsibility with that. So we want to see three things this morning about God's financial plan for the local church within the context of the joy of giving. Number one, I want you to notice in verses one and two, the sacred priority. The sacred priority. Now let's do some, let's look at those verses again. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I want you to circle some words this morning. 
Circle the word collection. Then you go to verse 2. Circle the word gatherings. This is the same word. Collection and gatherings are the same words, okay? Now concerning the collection for the saints. Now there's a purpose behind that. I have given order. And I want you to circle the word order. God is a God of order. Amen. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order, okay? He says, I have given order, notice this, to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to look at those last four words in verse 1. Even so do ye. That is a command. That is saying you need to follow the pattern. What I gave as instruction to the churches of Galatia, you also must follow, okay? Now, notice verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you laid by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul is giving us some sacred priorities actually in plural. There are sacred priorities found in verses 1 and 2. Here in verses 1 and 2, and we'll unfold this, we see the priorities concerning the local church. Now, when we think about a priority, we, there's a couple words I want you to think about. When we think about the word priority, we think of something of the highest order. We think of something that we're to give our highest attention to. For instance, we'll say, our priority is this. You know, there's a lot of things to do, but we must give our priority. Years ago, a young man came to me and he said, I want to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And, and, and you could tell as he was talking about it, he had all these desires. It's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins and knows there's 35 flavors to choose from, but you got to only choose so many flavors, amen? And so he said, I want to do all these things. And I reminded what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do, you must know your priority. Everyone today in this room, you should have your priority. If you're married, your priority should be your marriage. Say amen. If you have children, your priority should be your children. Though if you're saved, your priority is, to, is the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Amen? So Matthew 6, The priority of every Christian is the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. The priority of every Christian is to give glory to God. The priority this morning in this service we have here today is to worship the Lord and honor God. Priority talks about that which we give the highest attention and order to. We have priority priorities in our life. Now, if you don't have priorities in your life, my prayer this morning is when we're done that you establish some priorities. But there's a second word I want you to see. I said this morning, point number one, we're looking at the sacred priorities. Now, the word sacred is a very important word. Sacred refers to that which is holy, that which is hallowed, that which is special. It has to do with the glorifying of God. Now, I want you to consider some things with me this morning. A command of God is a sacred priority. A command of God is a sacred priority. Obedience to God is a sacred priority. Living for Jesus is a sacred priority. Coming to church on Sundays is a sacred priority. Amen? So I want you to notice this morning, Paul establishes in verses 1 and 2 some sacred priorities. Notice, first of all, in verse 1, we notice this, or actually verse 2, I want you to notice the sacred priority of the meetings. The sacred priority of the meetings. Upon the first day of the week. Underline that whole phrase. The first day of the week is the New Testament priority an emphasis of church assembly. I say church assembly. Because as a Christian, you're to be a part of the local New Testament church. Amen. Now a lot of people say it's Christian assembly. It's church assembly. He's talking to a local New Testament church. If it's a church, you're supposed to be part of a local New Testament church. Okay? Now I want you to see some things here about the meeting. He's talking about the first day of the week. Now what is the first day of the week? That is Sunday. Today is the first day of the week. It is Sunday. The first day of the week coincides with the day the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Now if it's not in your notes, I think it is, but if it's not in your notes, I want you to consider some verses with me just for time. Notice with me Mark chapter 
chapter 16, Mark 16, verses 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now the Sabbath was passed. That meant it was over. Now they're in the first day of the week. Look at verse 2. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they come to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. That's resurrection morning. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Now upon the first day of the week, Early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, and bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. John chapter 20, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, and the sepulcher, and unto the sepulcher, and see the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Under Jewish law, under the, back in creation, back in, in Genesis chapter 2, God established the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was on the seventh day. God made the world. He created the world in six days. On the Sabbath day, he specifically set that aside for rest. He set that aside as a day of rest, a day to give glory to him and honor to him. Now, that was under the law. In fact, we find that even in the, command, the Ten Commandments, that the Sabbath was to be hallowed. But when Jesus rose again from the dead, Jesus brought us from grace, from law into grace. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he established a new order. He established the local New Testament church through his life and through his command. And through that, when he rose again from the dead, on that resurrection morning. He established that on the first day of the week, that's when Christians assemble as a local New Testament church. This means that we give highest priority emphasis as far as of all the days of the week, the first day of the week or Sunday is our highest priority. Listen, there's no day you should be more excited about than Sunday. There's no day you should be more excited about coming to than Sunday and coming to church and to worship God and to honor him. We must recognize this morning that that was established by the Lord. Notice in John chapter 20, would you go there very quickly? In John chapter 20, to give emphasis to this, not only did Jesus Christ rise again from the dead, but notice in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22, Jesus assembled his believers. He met with them behind closed doors. They had their the very first, very first church assembly on that particular day. When I say church assembly, on the first day of the week, they had it on that day, on that resurrection day. And by the way, it would happen to be a Sunday evening. Praise God for that. And so God came to Jesus came on that Sunday, and notice what it says in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, that's the Lord's Day. We call the first day of the week the Lord's Day. At the first day at evening, he came to them. That being the first day of the week, very strong emphasis, first day of the week, he came to them. When the doors were assembled, and notice this next phrase, where the disciples were assembled. The disciples were assembled there. Now the nucleus of the local New Testament church, whatever the number was there at that time, that was who they wore. I think it was probably consisted of the same number that were there 40 days later after Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and they assembled in that upper room for prayer. The Bible tells us there were 120 that were assembled there. Regardless of that, we know that the disciples were assembled there. Now the Bible, they were there for the wrong reason at the beginning because it said for fear of the Jews. They thought they were concerned that they were next. They were concerned they were going to be crucified. So they closed the doors and shut the doors and Jesus just walked right through that. He came in there and he assembled with them. And notice the Bible says, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Well, I like what I see here. If you look at verses 19 to 22, we see several things. 
Number one, the disciples were assembled together in the same room. Number two, we find that it was on the first day of the week and it just happened to be in the evening. We see number three, Jesus was there. Now, Jesus came there. When we have church, Jesus is there, amen? We have to remind ourselves that we're two or more gathered together in my name. Jesus said, there am I in the midst with them. They need to talk about when two or people just get together in some room somewhere and you have a little fellowship time that he's there. He's talking specifically about the local New Testament church in that context there. So Jesus came. His presence is there. So we see the first day of the week. We see, it's a, we see that they're assembled. The disciples are assembled. We see that Jesus is there. And then there's preaching. Jesus is preaching to them. Look what he says to them. Peace be unto you. And then the Bible says, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Well, there was preaching there. Jesus came. He presented himself. His presence was known. And then we see Jesus doing something that all Baptist church is supposed to do. He gave an emphasis on sending and on missions. He speaks to them. And this was his message. First he started off and giving them the salutation by saying, peace be unto you. He says, may the peace of God be with you. May God's peace rule your heart. Hey, we just be honest here. You, you, you spend six days of the week and you've had stress and worry and anxiety and fears and calamities. And for some people they're out of money before even the month is over and there's anxiety in their heart. They're filled with turmoil. Hey, we need the peace of God to meet with us. I'm thankful the Bible says he's the God of peace. Amen. He's the God of peace who meets with us. And he's the God of peace who bruises Satan under our feet. And so he, he meets with us as the God of peace. And he gives us assurance. I don't know about you, but there's something about singing the hymns. There's something about reading the scriptures. There's something about shaking hands with other believers. There's something about someone putting their hand on your back and saying, I'm so glad to see you. There's something about that that instills a peace within our heart that helps us to know we're welcome to the assembly at Heritage Baptist Church. We're welcome here. And we're wanted here. And there's preaching here. And God, Christ is lifted up and something about singing because he lives we shall live also peace be unto you he says there but not only the peace he's preaching to them and they were glad when jesus words were being preached and then jesus said to them again in verse 21 peace be unto you as my father sent me even so send i you listen when you get down to the purpose of the local new testament church you'll hear this all day today Jesus is there to, to exhort them. Jesus was there to encourage them. Jesus was there to provide evangelism, to, the preach of the gospel. But Jesus was there also to equip them. When we come to church, we want God to work in our hearts. The meeting place of the church is that Christ works in us. We are praying all week long for God to work in hearts. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The, God, the plan of God, the priority of God is that, that preachers are called and missionaries are sent out and soul winners are sent and the word of the God is being preached and promoted all throughout the area and around the world and so Jesus was helping these, these disciples who were kind of out of focus for that moment to remind them as the father sent me so send I you and then notice this he said he breathed on them and said unto them receive ye the Holy Spirit there was emphasis on their walk with God and the power of the Holy Spirit so we see there right there in, in John chapter 20 Jesus meets with them the first Sunday night service notice another Sunday service Acts 20 verse 7 in Acts 20 verse 7 upon the first day of the week when the disciples were come to, came together to break bread Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and he continued speech until midnight now again we find the first day of the week we find it the city of Troas a church that was established there I believe it was established the root beginnings of that church were established in Acts chapter 16 when Paul parked himself at Troas waiting for a word from God there at Troas God gave him a word to go to Macedonia but there at Troas to see beginnings of a church were being done and by the way I think just 
wherever Paul went, he sowed the gospel seed. He tried to win people to Christ. I think he won some people to Christ here at Troas, and a church got started there. And now he comes back there a couple years later. He's back there at Troas, and they're there in the evening. And they do like all Baptists. They had a Baptist meal. They met. They broke some bread together and had a good time there. They broke some bread together, and they said, Paul, while we're here, would you just come and preach? You're here, would you preach? And the Bible says he did what we're all Baptists supposed to do. He was long preaching. Aren't you glad today? I'm going to let you out. Amen. There was long preaching there, okay? But there was preaching, there was assembly. But I want you to notice where Jesus met with them in John 20 and where Paul met with them in Acts chapter 20, we find some things very similar to our church. In John chapter 20, we find that even though the disciples were assembled there, there's the mention of one disciple who wasn't there. His name was Thomas. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want to have recorded in, 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 uh, up in heaven that I was missing from church. Amen. He was not there in his recording in John chapter 20. He wasn't there when Jesus had church. Then we get to Acts chapter 20 and we read about a young man. They're way up in the loft there. And we, wait, we read of a young man who's sitting in the window. It was warm up there and was stuffy and Paul was long preaching and this boy he fell out of the window but literally he fell out of church and we find two things there even though there's church on Sundays and even though there's preaching on Sundays and even though Jesus Christ is exalted on Sundays we find that there were some that were not there and we find there's some that fell out of church I'm just saying this morning we find here the sacred priority of the meeting we are here today because Jesus Christ himself established that the first day of the week is the time for the meeting of God's people now notice number two we see not only the sacred priority, letter B, the, the, meet, the priority of the meeting, but notice the priority of the membership. Notice if you went to 1 Corinthians 16 again. Upon the first day of the week, notice this next phrase there. Let every one of you. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about the members of the church at Corinth. Now we have to establish something this morning. When you get saved, praise God your name is written in heaven, Amen. Praise God that you have, a, you have a place reserved for you in heaven. Thank God you've got eternal life. But your life is just beginning. Because 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this, that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto, them, unto him which died for them and gave his life for them. Listen, life has taken a whole new turnabout and change. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And as new creatures in Jesus Christ, we have a new beginning. We have a new life. We have a new appetite. We have a new priority in life. We're to live for the Lord. And notice this as we look at 1 Corinthians 16. He talks about every one of you. Now, you need to be saved to go to heaven. To go to heaven, that's all you need is faith alone Jesus Christ to be saved. Praise God for that. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can go to heaven. By the way, this morning, if you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, we encourage you before the service is over, right where you're seated, that you can call upon Christ to save you from your sins. You don't, you, listen, go to heaven, it's faith alone in Jesus Christ. But after you get saved to become a member of the church, you need to be saved and then baptized. Now, baptism does nothing for your salvation as far as getting you to heaven. But baptism is very important because it's an ordinance of the church. As an ordinance of the church, it shows our identification with Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. By, by, uh, scriptural baptism is immersion. Immersion means going under the water. When we're under the water, it shows we identify with Christ and his death and his burial. When we come up out of the water, it shows we identify with the newness of life we have in him. Now, you need to be scripturally baptized to identify with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. That's important. But baptism also is the gateway to the local church. To be a member of the church, you need to be saved and you need to be baptized. 
baptized. As a baptized member, here's what you're doing. By being baptized, you're also not saying you identify with Jesus Christ. You also identify with his local church. You identify with the doctrine of the church. You identify with the direction of the church. You know, there's lots of churches out there. Just like Baskin Robbins has lots of flavors of ice cream. And not all churches have the same doctrine. And not all churches have the same direction. We must understand the authority of a church is established by how it started. And it's also established by what it teaches and preaches and what it practices there. Because that's very important for us. We've practiced that for years. If you don't have the book, you should get the book by J.M. Carroll entitled The Trail of Blood. The Trail of Blood gives us uh, information. It goes back in time and giving us to his, the historical understanding of, of how the church how the church unfolded through our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells you the pathway of the local church. It tells you how the church, a true church, can find its roots back to Jesus Christ. You ought to get that book. That's given out in all of our membership packets. It's given out when we have... When we have um, membership classes and discipleship classes so that you properly understand what is the history of the, of the church. And Jesus' church, the local New Testament, the true church, has, can trace its roots all the way back to the founding of our Lord Jesus Christ there. And it shows you how the Protestant movement came about and all of those kind of things there. And you need to be aware of that. And it's a, it's a very good resource. And the chart alone is worth just the whole book, just understanding that. But you need to get that book there. Now notice this here. You get saved and you get baptized. Baptism shows your identification with the doctrine of that church. And you identify with that. Now notice in Acts chapter 2, it tells us some things about, about the membership of a church. Let me say this this morning. When you get saved and baptized, baptism brings you into that local church as a member. You identify with Christ in his, in his, in his authority. You identify with Christ in his local church, okay? Now, as a member, you can only be a member of one local church. You can't have multiple memberships. You have your member of one local church. You have one pastor's oversight over you. You have one church at oversight over you. Now, you have, that's important because because we have this church hopping mentality that's throughout Christianity, and people think if I go to here and here and here, if I attend there, I'm a member. You're not a member unless you're saved, baptized, member of that local church in that context. And that's very important there, okay? Now, notice this here, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. A church was in existence. They were added to, there were 3,000 people added to that existing church. They got saved, these people that got saved there, they were added through baptism. And the Bible says this, this is what they did. Would you notice this in verse 42? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What's the next step after I get saved? You follow steadfastly in the preaching of God's word. This is what these Jews did. You have to understand, if you think you, think you and I have got issues and challenges, those Jews who got saved, they had a lot of challenges because they had a lot of historical past they had, to, they had to let go of there. And when it says they got saved, they followed steadfastly. They, they had their sights and focus on following the preaching and teaching that the apostles were giving. And if you go back and study church history, you'll see that in those early days of the church, in fact, most of that first century, they, what, what was being preached and said about the resurrection, about Jesus Christ, was considered very controversial to people in that time. That's why Paul has to address certain things that were going on with the Jews and the Jews that wanted people to go back to Judaism. That's why we have the book of Hebrews and the book of Galatians, and it deals with those issues there. And we notice here, the Bible says, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. You know what I'm saying there? As a good member, they got saved they got baptized, and they got to church. They, they, didn't build, they didn't build the church around their life. They built, they, they, what, what they did was that they, they decided here, that here's the church, I'm going to build my life around the church. They decided I'm going to come and be under preaching, and I'm going to grow in the word of God. They said I'm going to be under preaching. I'm going to be in the fellowship of the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I'm going to be there for meals and fellowship time. And they said we're going to be there for prayer time. We're going to be there part of that. And the Bible says fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all the believed were together, and had all 
things common. Hey, you know, church unity happens when the church is on the same page with Jesus. Amen? We're on the same page with Christ about what the Word of God says and what does the Bible say and what we're supposed to do. And all I'm trying to say this morning is we see the sacred priority about the meetings. We see the sacred priority about the membership. It is God's will. It is God's will when we read the scriptures that if you're saved, you're to be a member of a local New Testament church. God wants you to member the church because he's given you one or more spiritual gifts to be used in that church. He saved you to be used of him, to glorify his name, and to honor him. And everybody has a role and a place in the local church. Now, in the next couple weeks, we're going to give some some announcements and some information for our next big church event, which is Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to have a a great Easter musical on April 20th. 21st and for the last 60 to 90 days as we got got out of our Christmas musical we've been praying and studying and contemplating and and planning and scratching out things and replanning some things about what we're praying will be a greatly attended Easter outreach reaching many people for Christ and everybody who has a part here at his Baptist church you can have a part in that you can have a responsibility in in being involved with a team for outreach or team for setup or something else there that might be involved with a children's treasure hunt or might be involved with helping us with refreshments and things for the Easter musical or if nothing else, we're going to let you know on, on Sunday the 16th where we're going to have, the, uh, we're going to have a, a, a cross here in the back of the church out I'll put in the front on that day. And we're going to ask you to have names of people that you're going to start praying for. We want you to tack those names on that cross like you did last year and the year before. That those are people we're going to be praying for. We're going to accumulate those names and bring them up before God and pray for a harvesting of souls to be saved and praying that God will give us a greatly attended time and while God will open some, some doors and other areas where we can just get some gatherings and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's just understanding that in these days where there's so much evil and wickedness around us that we must understand that we must do all that we can in getting the gospel out. But you want to be involved. And that's what this church was doing over there. Membership is not separate association or cliques in the church that try to function as a church within the church. We are one church. We might have different ministries for language. We may have different age groups based on what we call life stages. But the church is not to be separate cliques meeting together here, meeting together there that functions as a church within the church. We have one church. We have one Lord. We have one master, we have one doctrine, we have one Bible, you have one local New Testament shepherd that guides you. We have to understand that's God's plan for the local church there. So this morning we have the priority, we have the priority today for the meeting. What day of the week are we to meet? Who says second day? There's the priority of the membership. But notice verse 2 and 3, which you notice the priority of the money. The businessman says, money, 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 money. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, not some of you, not a part of you. Did you see that? Let every one of you lay by him in store. Circle the word store. As God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings or collections when I come. Now, Paul spent some time. He, we, we looked here real quickly here at the, the priority of the membership and the priority of the meaning, but there's a priority of the money. Now, let's talk about, first of all, the purpose for collections and offerings in the church. First of all, as we study the Bible, we just need to go back all the way to the Old Testament and go forward. God established that the assembly of his people would be the means for the care and provision for the full-time servants of God. 
We do not go to the government for help. I appreciate people that always come to me and say, have you considered this, considered that? And I'm thankful if one day someone might give, we might be able to be eligible for a grant and all that. That's not how God sustains his work. God makes very clear in his work that we're not sustained through the government and all these other things. And, and uh, you know, there was a time when one of our presidents said, hey, you know, for faith-based ministries, you can make application for that. And I had a lot of people say, would you, write, would you apply for it? I said, no. The moment I do that and we start getting ourselves dependent upon on, on a secular means for the financial church, instead of God's people taking care of it, they were basically saying that God's method doesn't work. God's method works. It's worked for 2,100 years and it still works, amen? So I want you to see today that there's, it's for the care and provision of God's servants. Secondly, we, there's the collections for the spread of the gospel ministry, the spread of the gospel and the advance of the gospel through missions. Now we're gonna see that in Philippians 4. We'll see that in fact throughout all the scripture there in the New Testament. Thirdly, the purpose for con- collections and offerings are for the ongoing cost of the ministry so, that, so the ministry can go on and do business and serve God. We, we take collections for just keeping the lights on and paying our bills and keeping things going and paying down our debt and, and uh, then to financing the vision of the church and reaching people for Christ and all of these things like that. Fourthly, we see then the days of the early church that uh, one of the significant objectives was to assist with the needs of the poor. That's what he's talking about here. They were talking about collection. At the time Paul wrote this, there was difficulty uh, throughout Christianity and in Jerusalem specifically, we find multiple times that there was a, there was a famine that came and there was a dearth in the land and, and there was difficulties. And so these other churches were taking up offerings and sending to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And poor being basically this, I mean, they, they were very poor. I mean, they, they were, I mean, they, they had, they had difficulties. Difficulties. And so at that time, just a lot of things are unfolding. And so they had a, they, so these churches were taking collections to help the saints. Now today, you know, in America, we're a little bit more advanced. Our, our, our country has developed social programs, good or bad. And we have social programs and welfare programs and like that, that truly help those who are needing. We thank God for those programs have thought these things out there. And so we have those on that. But there are times like this where maybe a local New Testament church has to just consider the needs of its members on a case by case basis. But here they said, we need to help the believers there at Jerusalem because there's a need and the church of Jerusalem is unable to help that need. And so these other churches took up a need, a collection to help them with that situation. And so Paul's addressing that there. It had nothing to, it, it did not take away from their needs for the local church, but it's just saying that they did that. Now, let's go to the New Testament now. Now, aside from the reference to the, uh, to, in the gospel, as far as Pharisees tithe, I want you to focus on the word tithe with me for a minute. The word tithe is used many times in the Old Testament. In fact, as you'll see tonight, there were three different tithes that they took up. You should be glad we only take one, amen? That means we're not scripture. We should take three tithes. Let's get the offering bags out again, amen, you know? But when you get the New Testament, Jesus addressed the tithe of the Pharisees. And you get the book of Acts, there's nothing about tithing. Back to Revelation. And some Christians go, yes. see, there's no tithing in the New Testament. No. I want you to think of two things this morning. Number one, look at the word liberality. You see that? You know what the word liberality is? No. The word liberality is where we get our word grace from. It's charis. Everywhere you read Paul's writings about giving, there's always the grace of God in giving. And interestingly, by the movie of the Holy Spirit, the King James translators used the word liberality. 
When grace is involved in giving, here's what the Bible's first introduction to us is in Acts chapter 4. We'll see that next week. Great grace was upon them. And you have to understand, as we'll see this next week, believers there because the need was so dire. Believers were selling their real estate. It had nothing to do with the market condition. They were selling their real estate and bringing the money and giving, laying at the feet of the apostles. Now, what does that mean? They were giving their money to the authority of the local church. And the authority of the local church made determination how it was to be distributed to help the needs there. And the Bible says great grace was upon them. Now, when we come here... Number one, we're under a higher principle than tithing. That higher principle is grace giving. Grace giving should prompt us to give of the abundance of our heart. And uh, we'll see a few things about that this morning. But we also consider something else. When the beginning, when you go to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we see 3,000 and 5,000 that come to Christ. And these are mainly all Jews. They're assembling with the believers. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So we have to ask the question. As they were assembling with the believers, they, they, they knew, they were being taught that they were not to go back to the Old Testament ceremonies and things of that nature. What about the tithe? What did they do with their tithes? Even though scripture doesn't reference it, there were Jews who were concerned about, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to give this tithe. They didn't feel that they were released from the tithe. They felt this sense as Christ was working in their hearts of this, uh, this grace of giving. And the, basically, I believe that their tithe was included in their grace giving and beyond that because they were encouraged to get beyond it. But the minimum threshold, the minimum baseline every Christian should, should encourage and embrace is the tithe. So what do we mean by the tithe? Well, notice those, those few things here. The Jews were gathered together here, and this grace giving is being given here, and so they're emphasizing the tithe. Well, we need to look at this here. He says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. And he leads them that by talking about that there be no gatherings when I come, and he talked about the collection for the saints. Well, he's talking about, first of all, the sacred priority, but notice, secondly, he's talking about the scriptural principle, the scriptural practice. Now, let's talk about the tithe for a second. The tithe means one-tenth. The tithe means 10%. In the Old Testament, believers were to set aside one-tenth of all that God prospered. Now watch this. Write this down because we don't have time to read it. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Okay? God is talking about here as we get into the tithe, he used the term first fruits, the first gatherings. The choicest gatherings. At harvest time, they were to take of their first fruits and put it aside for God. One-tenth was to be set aside for that initial tithe. Now, Leviticus 27 tells us some things about the tithe. We know as we read through the scriptures that the tithe, as once the temple was developed, was built out, they were to put it into what's called, what's called the storeroom or the storehouse, uh, the storehouse of, 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 the, of the temple there. The tithe was to go into there. Now, at that, in that time, it, it consisted of people bringing their, their wheat and, and, and the first fruits of their harvest, things like that. But if you read Leviticus 27, something very interesting, there were those who felt like they wanted to convert what they had into cash. Now, I don't hear this mentioned much, but this is very interesting. They, they, whatever they sold, if they converted to cash, if you read Leviticus 27, they were supposed to add 20% to that. 
If you redeem it, he says, you're to add one-fifth on top of that. So they wanted to make sure that if somebody had sold something that they were going to give us their tithe, they added 20% to that just to make sure they were keeping them honest. That's God's way of keeping people honest. That's what the Bible says. You read it yourself, Leviticus 27. In Leviticus 27, the tithe is the Lord's. Now, if it was the Lord's in the Old Testament, it's still the Lord's in the New Testament. In Leviticus 27, it says the tithe is holy to the Lord. Well, if it's holy to the Lord in the Old Testament, it's holy to God in the New Testament, okay? God, God, did, not, God did not do away with the tithe and say, we don't tithe anymore just because, because we now are under grace giving. He's saying we're under a higher principle. We ought to be encouraged to do beyond the tithe. And praise God, I'm thankful this morning as I stand here that for 20 years, we've seen a, a number of God's people respond how they've been giving to, they've been participating in the tithe on a weekly basis. And not only on the tithe, but they're also participating in other, other offerings that we have as a church. And basically, the church is here today because of sacrificial giving and God's people being obedient and embracing New, New Testament and Old Testament principles of giving. Now, the, the Jews were supposed, to, were supposed to set something aside, but they're tithe. Notice something else here. Uh, you know, we, we see here that the tithe represents our fear of the Lord and obedience to his word. In Malachi 3, 8, and 11, he says this, that God, God said that those who, who were not tithing were robbing God. He said, will a man rob God? And you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And he said, in tithes and in offerings. And as we get to that, we, we look at, we'll see a little bit of that tonight. We look, at, we look at where Malachi was at because he was a contemporary of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had to deal with an issue at a time when the Jews had gotten the walls rebuilt. We go to Nehemiah 13. There was a time when the tithing had stopped and God's servants were not being taken care of and, the God, and the God's house had been forsaken and he had to get things back in order there. But the tithe is important. It's an important element of Christian worship. It's an important element of church worship. The tithe was commanded there. Notice again, 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection for the saints. Listen, as they were, they were just unfolding this whole matter of giving there, in this specific instance, they're talking about a collection. He says, you're to lay by you in stores. God is prospering. Now notice the scriptural practices this morning. I want to give you some things very quickly. Number one, our giving, our tithing giving should be systematic. Our tithing giving should be systematic. He says, let every upon the first day of the week. Now he's saying this to you and I, we're to plan. As we contemplate going into Sunday upon the first day of the week, now it might be very early in the morning, you set aside as God has prospered him. You set aside based on your paycheck, based upon perhaps a realized gain that you had from the sale of an asset or an inheritance or something of that nature. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay it by him in store. It's to be systematic. Our giving is to be orderly and methodical. We're to lay by him in store as God is prospering. We're to have the money ready to give, the check ready to give. And one day when we go to online giving, you have the ability that you hit that button. You're ready to rejoice and give to the Lord. Our giving must be systematic. From the from uh, uh, we set it by him the amount we're going to give to the Lord. Practically speaking, this would be our tithe and all other designated offerings. And Paul said that there be no gatherings when I come. Now Paul was laying a principle. He says, he says, look, I'm going to come back to Corinth. That's what he's talking about. First Corinthians 16. I'm going to come back to Corinth, but I don't want you to wait till I come to take up the collection. He says we need to set some order here. Now bear in mind, he's writing to the church at Corinth. He was there to establish that church. He was there for a minimum of 18 months. We read that in Acts chapter 18. But while we was there. 
there somewhere along the way that they got off the principle and the, and, and the, and the good uh, discipline they had in, in, in collect, laying by them in store. So Paul establishes again. He says, I don't want you to have collections when I come. I want you to do that now. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of them lay by in store as God has promised me. He says, make sure you make this a systematic, regular process that we set aside for that. Financial giving is a scriptural obligation and it's to be done in an orderly manner. We must be very careful. And I know we, we all make this mistake, but we must be very careful. We're not haphazard in our, in our giving or emotional in our giving. Because many times we may be vacillating between budget and shortness of dollars and all of these things. And we wonder, can God take care of me? And by the way, God will take care of you. Okay, we'll see that in a minute. But we have to realize that God is going to take, do better than take care of us. He should supply all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But our giving, our setting aside, must be systematic. Secondly, notice this, the scriptural practice. It must be systematic. But what you notice, secondly, it must be symmetrical. Now notice this, as God has prospered him. Symmetrical means in proportion to. In proportion to. No two people in this room are going to give the same amount. If they do, it's more coincidental more than anything else. No two people are going to give the same amount. Now, if somebody taught you, give a certain dollar amount aside per week, praise God for that. But I want to encourage you to adopt a higher principle. And the higher principle is to realize one-tenth belongs to the Lord and to set aside that one-tenth as God has prospered you. Now, we're going to see this in a minute. When he talks as God has prospered you, he's talking about here gross, not net. You know, how many understand gross and net, amen? Net is after all the deductions. And by the way, how many understand after all the deductions, if you work here in America, there ain't a whole lot left, amen? Yeah, that's right. Net of what? He says gross, not net. And I could feel it in the room already. Some are saying, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand. It's very tight to live in California. I understand. That's why so many people are leaving California. Don't you leave, amen, you know? But don't you think God knows that? How do you think God takes care of his church? And how do you think God is honored? In proportion, as God has blessed him. Notice some scriptures, and I'll give you some illustrations. Notice 2 Corinthians 8.12. Here in 2 Corinthians 8.12, God's method, proportional method, is based upon the means by which God has blessed us. God is not asking you to set aside what you don't have. He's asking to work within the means of what we do have. And so now go to 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if they be first a willing mind. Now that's the starting point. A willing mind. It is accepted according to that a man has and not according that he has not. Our giving should not be focused, well, there must be some well-to-do people in the church. You know, if you can find me well-to-do people in the church, let me know who they are because I'm going to sign them up real fast. Amen? Because I know our people in our church, we have hardworking people. But by the way, more than hardworking people, we have people that love God. A willing mind. And he goes on further as we read a little bit further on. He talks about 2 Corinthians 9. He goes another chapter over, verses 6 to 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now that says it all right there. 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That word grace is the same word that's found in liberality. That's found over in chapter, chapter 16, verse 3. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, giving is part of the good work of God. Giving is our financial responsibility to the local church. Giving is how we express our worship to God. You go back to the Old Testament and you study the offerings. And you read there that the offerings involved giving. It involved taking sheep and bulls and, and livestock and offering to God and offering your best to God. We read about Abraham in, in Genesis 18 when the Lord and two angels came to visit him. He went to his flock and got the fattest of his herd. He got the best one that normally only gave for banquet. And he had, he had someone prepared and he sacrificed and made a meal for the Lord. He gave of his best and he gave of his extras. Grace giving is we give what belongs to God, we give what's best, we have the, our best to God, and we give our extras to God. That's what we're talking about here. And so we look at here, we see in this giving, it is to be proportional. It, that He tells us that every man is he purposes in heart, so let him give. We're to give with a cheerful spirit and a cheerful heart. Cheerfulness is the same word we get our word hilarious from. You're to give with laughter and enthusiasm, enjoyment. You're to put that offering in the, in the bag and say, praise God, I get to give something to Jesus and honor him with this. And so we see today, God has established order. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him his stories. God is prostrate. It is to be it's systematic. It is to be symmetrical. But you notice it's to be sacrificial. The believers in Macedonia were told in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians verse 3, they gave beyond their power. Wow. They were poverty stricken too. And these same believers, we'll read later on in 2 Corinthians 11, how Paul references that when, when Silas and Timothy came to him, they met up with him at Corinth, they brought an offering to him. And this offering, they knew at that moment of time, they said, we've got a missionary down there at Corinth, and he's probably in need of money. They heard about it because somewhere along the way, they found out that he was, had resorted to tent making, and he wasn't doing a very good job of selling tents and making tents that people were buying. And so he just, he, he was feeling the pinch there, and uh, they took up this love offering, and Silas and Timothy brought it down to him, and it was great relief that, that Paul had. But then in 2 Corinthians 8, he addresses the fact that the Corinthian believers were to be one of many churches to take up special offerings for the poor saints that were at Jerusalem, to give it to the local church at Jerusalem, to distribute as there was need. All I'm saying today is that God looks at us and he talks about us being bountiful. Look what he says here. He says, he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. God encourages us to give sacrificially. He describes it in Philippians 4.16 as they sent once and again. He describes it in Acts chapter 4, great grace was in the giving of the church. We read about in the Gospels about a widow who gave her two mites to the Lord. Her two mites was all that she had. She gave all that she had. And Jesus commended her because she gave her all in comparison to the Pharisees, which gave a, just gave a, a small small portion what they have. The scriptural practice for us does not have a limit imposed upon it. And so we must understand, we, we're, we're tithing is not just, is, is just our starting point. When we, when we're not really giving to God until we get past the tithe. The tithe already belongs to God. The tithe is holy to the Lord. The tithe already belongs, belongs to God. So we must understand that he already owns that. We really don't start to give until we give over that 10% and realize that we're truly giving to the Lord. And so this morning, we see a couple of things in, in basic understanding. Number one, we 
see the sacred priority. Paul instructs us about the, more, the matter of our meetings, and he instructs us about our membership, and he instructs us about our money. And then we see the scriptural practice, the practices that upon the first day of the week, all of us are to set aside as God has prospered us, and we're to set it by in store as the collection being made. But notice as we close this morning, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians, and I want you to go back one chapter. Go back one chapter, and we're done this morning. Now you have to remember, Paul is writing to a church that had a lot of difficulties and challenges. I mean, this church at Corinth, they had, they had, they had, uh, it, it was the divided church. There was arguments. There was power wrangling. There was strife. Uh, believers were going to, they had difficulties with each other and they were suing one another. Uh, they had moral problems, serious moral problems. They were in a city where this city was just like one of our big cities here. It had a lot of sin issues. You think our sin issues today we're dealing with are tough? They had the same thing in Corinth. This was a church that was confused about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they, there, was a, uh, there was what I call the malpractice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were not very well grounded about the, about the doctrine of the resurrection, and hence 1 Corinthians 15, one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. Paul deals with the whole matter concerning the, about, about, about that. But this church was also a church, we get to chapter 16, that their practices in giving were not scriptural practices. They weren't doing everything that God wanted them to do, so Paul's reestablishing some things. Now I want you to understand, as we look at this church here, this church was very dysfunctional. This church was, had a lot of challenges. This church had a, a, lot of, a lot of problems. But I want to say something. It was a dysfunctional church that had a lot of challenges, but it was still God's church. Jesus still died as much for that church as he did for Heritage Baptist Church. Jesus still loved that church. Jesus shed his blood for that church. God, God's design here in 1 Corinthians is that he would have a holy church. And as a holy church, he wanted a healthy church. And as a healthy church, he wanted them to have good habits as a church. He wanted this church to do the things that biblical churches should do. Now I'm just saying this morning, God wants us as a church, Heritage Baptist Church, to do the things that holy churches and God's church should be doing. Amen. And so we look at this here. Notice he's talking to people that had not been tithing, had not been giving. And they're feeling the pinch. They're feeling the difficulty. I feel like some of you this morning, you're just growing in grace right now and trying to figure out, Pastor, I don't even know how we're going to do this. And notice 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, if you would, it's the springboard. It's the prelude. It's the word of encouragement before he talks about what they need to do in 1 Corinthians 16. He, he looks at this verse, and it's kind, of the, it's kind of the closure he gives to all the dysfunctional bad things that were going on in the church and saying, you got to go on. And he says in that verse, I want to tell you just right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, what a true church must do and what a true church must understand. And you can do it, and you can get it done, and you can get things done right. And notice what he says in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren. By the way, aren't you glad this morning that God calls us beloved brethren? Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he said this out of love. He said this out of concern. He said this because he wanted them to be in the will of God. He said this because he wanted them to have the joy of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, notice he says there, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. And that's the word we need today. Stay fast. Amen. Stay in church. Stay in the Bible. Stay faithful. Stay as a giver. Stay at soul winning. 
Stay being where everything should be. Just be ye steadfast. Listen, we live in a day and age. Nobody wants to stick their neck out. Nobody wants to do what they can. But I would remind you that in those early days of the church at Corinth, there was a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul said this about them as members. They are my helpers who have also played down their neck for my life. Listen, we need some members at Heritage Baptist Church that are willing to put their neck on the line for the work of God. To take some sacrifice, set some steps up. We live in a day and age where we're, we're afraid of getting sued, and we're afraid of this, we're afraid of that, we're afraid of catching germs, we're afraid of catching disease. Listen, all those fears and paranoias have kind of found their way in the church, and we're afraid of giving, we're afraid of commitment, we're afraid of serving God. I want to tell you this morning, be ye steadfast, believer. Be ye steadfast, brother, sister, in Christ. Listen, if you've been here for 20 years as a believer, be steadfast in the work of the Lord. If you're new to the church, be steadfast in the work of the Lord. Get your roots in deep is what he's saying there. Amen. Be steadfast, unmovable. Now you need to get indoctrinated in the word of God. You need to know the doctrines. There's a lot of winds blowing around us. If you're not in grounded, someone's going to come up and say something like this. Well, you know, I don't really think what the pastor said is true, and I don't think it's Bible and all this, and they want to give you their two cents from, from, from some commentator on the outside. He's not a commentator. He's a common potato, amen, you know? Commentators are not inspired. God's word is inspired. Commentators are not the authority. I don't care who they are. Jesus Christ is the authority. I'm sick and tired of looking at social media, all these guys quoting commentators and quoting this guy and that guy, which tend to be Calvinists and guys that reform theology don't agree with anything about evangelization. And basically the word of God is our authority. You're not going to find Reformed theology in the Bible. It's not there. You look, God so loved the world. It's not a select few. It's for everybody. Don't move from your bear, your, your, where you're anchored. Young people, get anchored in the word of God. Amen. Yes, sir. Don't get in these endless debates. That's why you need to read First and Second Timothy. Amen. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Be steadfast, unmovable. Notice the next two words. Always abounding. And notice he says in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Did you know just coming to church this morning, this is the work of the Lord? Amen? Amen. We took up the offering, that was the work of the Lord. Winning souls to Christ, that's the work of the Lord. Yes. Missions, missions is the work of the Lord. Caring for our widows, caring for those who are needy, that's the work of the Lord. Giving a word of encouragement to somebody, that's the work of the Lord. Our choir singing up here, that was the work of the Lord. Our orchestra doing their part, that's the work of the Lord. Our nursery workers who are among the hardest workers of our church, that's the work of the Lord. Our drivers who got up early this morning before most of you came to church were out there at 7, 30, 8 o'clock picking up their routes and having to deal with the joy of those who come and the disappointment of those who couldn't come and those who are sick and all of those kind of things. That's the work of the Lord. Our ushers who are out here watching to serve you and me and, and, to, and to, for our safety, that's the work of the Lord. Those who clean around the church, that's the work. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. That's the work of the Lord. Hey, listen, anything we do for Jesus is the work of the Lord. But giving's the work of the Lord too. And here's Paul said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. I spent some time Wednesday night talking about that word labor. Labor of love. It hurts to serve Jesus. There's pain. 
You say, you mean Jesus is the pain? No, Jesus is not the pain. It's the very people you serve sometimes, they're the ones who hurt you. They're the ones who disappoint you. Let me just say this this morning. You come to church, bring your burdens. Don't bring your backbiting. You come to church, bring your concerns, but don't be critical. That's not being a blessing. That's not abounding the work of the Lord. And we could be saved for so long and be in church for so long, we just get this, we get this spirit that we, we think we're in charge of everything. Listen, Jesus Christ is still the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. And so Paul tells this church at Corinth, I want you to always abound in the work of the Lord. Now, he could have gone off and said, well, I want you to go with me to uh, Malachi chapter 3, and I want to see where it says in verse 8, will a man rob God, and where have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Because he's basically saying, you know, we, we, have, we have people that steal cars, and we have people that rob banks, and we have people that hold up 7-Elevens, and we have people that break into people's cars and church parking lots and restaurant parking lots, and we have that. But, you know, we have people that rob God in church too. Good. You're not tithing and offering. You're not giving your tithing and offerings to God. He said in Malachi chapter 3, will a man rob God? I mean, he just was like, you know, whoa, you know. You're a robber, you're a thief, you're a pilfer, you're an embezzler, you're a fraudulent person, you have grand theft. And we're going to see some things about that. But notice he talks about here, he talks about here in the, in the scriptures that, that uh, we, we understand that we must be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding work, Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, yeah, it hurts. He's saying labor, it hurts. It's painful, it's difficult. He said it's not in vain. Hey, listen, every dollar you give to Jesus Christ is never in vain. And so I want you to go back with me and see the conclusion to this. We go back to chapter 16. And he says in verse 3, And when I come, whosoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And I want to close with those, those two words this morning, your Liberality. The grace of God in the outflow in your heart. When the Bible says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of times we put the precedent on the knowledge more than we do on the grace. You want to learn God's grace? Learn to give. Your liberality. God's grace to work your heart. Some of you this morning, the challenge for you is to learn to begin tithing as your starting point. Some of you this morning, something distracted you. You need to get back to tithing. Because we'll see tonight, God has a wonderful promise associated with tithing and giving. Because he says in Proverbs 3.10, So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall break out with new wine. God's blessing upon your efforts. We need to trust God. We need to trust him for our needs. We need to trust him for our family. We need to trust him to take care of all that we we were supposed to do. Hey, listen, as we look at this and close this morning, don't let the devil tell you to quit. Don't let the devil short sight you and thinking God is trying to hurt you financially. We are called to be financial stewards. We are called to be faithful stewards. It is a content to steward that he be found faithful. Now, most of our preaching, teaching this morning has been around your responsibility, my responsibility being faithful to God and giving. We talked about the grace of God, liberality.
my closing thought I want to give you is found in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I want you to see the example of grace that none of us can improve upon. That is the model and example for giving. And he said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. What does that mean? Jesus, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the silver and the gold. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is the Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 8.18, which giveth thee the power to have wealth. Jesus became poor. Jesus humbled himself and became like us and thought it not robbery to be equal with God and made himself of no reputation. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why are we talking about this? Because the greatest example of grace and giving is Jesus Christ giving his life, every drop of blood, all of his life, for your sins and mine's. Oh, what a Savior, that he would die for you and me, that he give his life for you and me. With outstretched arms, with an uninhibited flow of blood coming out of his body, he offers to you the free gift of eternal life by simply putting your faith and trust in him to save you from your sins. This morning, if you're not saved, I invite you today to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior and make sure today you know you're gonna be saved. You can be saved today. If you're today here, someone who's been recently saved, but you haven't taken the next step of following the Lord's scriptural baptism to be a member of the local New Testament church, I invite you this morning to obey the Lord and take that next step. There's the priority concerning, concerning the membership. There's the priority of the meeting. We need to establish and trust God with all of our busy schedules that Sunday is God's day, and we're going to honor him on the Lord's day. But we must have the priority concerning our giving. If you're someone who needs to start, I encourage you, Step out and say, you're going to trust God to take care of you. You're someone who used to, and something distracted you and got you off chart. Hey, listen, you can get back to it. You can get back to it. Re-enlist, re-involve, recommit. Get back to giving for the Lord and trust him for your needs. God's financial plan for the local church. I'll just say this as we're done. God's financial plan for the local church, if all of us were tithing and all of us were giving biblically and scripturally, the needs of the church would be more than met. And we see examples of that in the Bible. We might have time next week to look at that from Second Chronicles chapter 31. We'll see where they, they, they had so much money, Hezekiah said, stop the giving. We've got more than we need. Now, I don't think we'll ever be there because we've got a big vision to fill him at, you know. But, uh, but there may be a day sometimes which is to stop because you know what? We've got more than we need. Let's just rejoice what God's doing and pray for his leading about what's next. But would you obey the Lord this morning? On this day of worship, is he getting all the glory? Does he have all your attention? Or you have divided interests, okay? You know, that's what Elijah prayed. He says, you know, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, worship him. So this morning, don't have two opinions, have one opinion. He's to be honored. He's to be glorified. We're going to praise him. Father, this morning, thank you for the study from 1 Corinthians 16. Now, Father, drill deep in our hearts. Some need to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. Some need to make it straight that they identify the doctrine of this church and need to be wholehearted, loyal members. Others this morning perhaps need to start in the matter of, of tithing and giving. Others this morning need to, need to get to the place where maybe they got sidetracked and something got them off track there. They need to get back involved. But, Lord, we need to do that to be loving Christians and happy Christians and joyous Christians. And today we consider the model of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He wants people who are not saved to come to him and to be saved and born again, to have their sins washed away and to come under the blood. This morning, Father, we pray that you'll help us to obey you as we give the invitation. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many Christians this morning would say today, Pastor Fong, God challenged me this morning that I need to be a financial steward to honor the Lord with my substance and the first fruits of all my increase. I'm not sure I'm going to do it, but pray for me. God will help me. You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me this morning. I want to be a good steward of the resources God's giving. God bless you. Send me enough courage to raise your hand and say, pray for me. Who else this morning? And how many today would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved and going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? I'm not sure I'm saved and going to heaven, but I want to know for sure. Father, have your way, we pray. Help us to be obedient Christians to do what the Bible says as we've seen the instruction from Paul in 1 Corinthians 16. The priority of the meeting, the priority of the membership, the priority of the money. Father, may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. God's moving your heart about getting saved, about the next step in your life, about just starting. You step out and honor God. Would you step out today? Especially if you need to be saved, come meet with one of our altar workers. They'll help you to understand what you need to do to be saved. Would you come this morning? I want to challenge teenagers today and college students. You don't have jobs. You have very little, but I want to challenge you to learn tithing. I want to challenge new believers in the church to learn tithing. I want to challenge you to go beyond the tithe and to participate in the special offerings of the church. Would you do that this morning? We'll sing another stanza. If you need to come, you come this morning. Don't wait. Don't delay. God's word should strike at us. We'll see some things tonight. You need to be back for part two because we need a little more depth on this to see God's financial plan for the local church. But be on, be, let's be on the same page with God. Let's honor him. Father, this morning, thank you for 1 Corinthians 16. We thank you for the doctrine that's found here and the good practices. May you be honored and glorified, we pray. Thank you for this. Help us to use this afternoon to just uh, rest our bodies and prepare our souls. And Lord, to be back tonight because it's the first day of the week. Be back in church. Be under the uh, word of God as it's preached and taught to help us to grow in the faith. We pray for this now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. If you're new to the church and um, maybe even your second, third, fourth Sunday here, please stop by on the, at the door on the way out so we can shake your hand and get a chance to meet you. And if you're new to this morning and did not turn in your connection card, please do that at the table by where we're standing in the back and let one of the ladies have that. We encourage you to be back tonight for the service. And uh, we're going to be talking about some things about the revival meetings coming up at the end of the month and about the Easter outreach, and that'll be a blessing. Brother Anthony Tang, you come and lead us in closing prayer. And we look forward to shaking your hand at the back there. God bless you for being here today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and thank you for um, being so loving and gracious to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us uh, in our lives, Lord, to shed your love and your grace um, abound and, and